Good morning, everybody. I'm back. I'm in the youth room, which is my space, and it feels so good. I'm so happy to be in here again, and I'm hoping that I can share the word with you just a little bit more clearly this week. You will be happy to know that I've consulted with the church matriarch, Ann Alam, who is probably so embarrassed hearing me call her that, um, about just some tips for improving my speaking. And I had not realized how geared my speaking and my language style was towards youth, which is good because that is my job. But you guys are not all youth. You're not all guys either, but that's the phrase that I use. And so I'm going to do my best today to not call you, you guys, <laughs> to not say like, to not um so much, and to just kind of get the message out more clearly. And so let's get into the word. This week we are looking at John chapter 11. Greg assigned yet another difficult passage for me. Surprise, surprise. Uh, you know the old saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But I think it should continue on and say, fool me four times and maybe uh, look at what God is trying to teach you and stop blaming other people, Paige. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to look at what God's trying to teach me and stop making jokes about Greg assigning me hard passages. Though he is, but I think God is trying to teach us something through it. And so um, that's the approach that I took to this. I was very confused about the passage. It makes sense, but in terms of stretching it out and looking at what it's actually saying, I was having a really, really, really hard time. And so I decided to just consult as many people as possible, to read as many commentaries as possible, to listen to sermons, do whatever I could to just get a better understanding of what John and Jesus are telling us through this passage. And keep that in mind. <laughs> please, as we work through this. So as you know, we're looking at the I am statements of Jesus. This is week, I believe, number five, the fifth I am statement, which is I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm just going to jump right in. If you have a Bible, open up to John 11 because we do not have a screen today. And I'm just going to read this passage through with you guys, and I'm going to stop and kind of tell you different things that I learned from different people along the way. And yeah, so I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if that confuses you, um, why our Bibles aren't matching up, but yes, so John chapter 11, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is sick. So this first part is really just setting the scene for us. John is making sure that we know that this is a family that's really close to Jesus. It isn't somebody that's just heard that he can do miracles or whatever it is, but it's people who have a relationship with him who, yes, believe that he can heal Lazarus, but also just on a relational level think this is important, Jesus should know type of thing. Um John is even going so far as to spoil the next chapter, which is where Mary pours the oil on his feet. But he mentions it here to kind of drive that point home of like, this is a familiar family. This is important. Like, know the relationship. So the story goes on. It says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. 
Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is the danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Now, at this point in the story, I am relating pretty hard to the disciples because I am hearing the things that make sense and I am thoroughly confused by the other parts. Jesus often speaks in parables in the Bible, which some people think are confusing, but I personally think this is way more confusing than that. Um, And a lot of the times I think that we read these stories and we sort of embody, we think about how we should embody the characteristics of Jesus, which we should. But I think it's also important that we see ourselves as every other character in the story. We need to see ourselves as the doubting neighbors, as the people who wanted to stone Jesus, as the disciples that are so confused, as the Pharisees who have it all wrong. Um, and in this case, I at least am one of those disciples that's thoroughly confused. And I think Jesus recognizes that in our lives and in this story in the Bible. He recognizes that the disciples are confused. And so... He goes back and he repeats himself in a simpler way. It even says, he told them plainly, this is verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe me. Come, let's go see him. Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. And I just love the disciples because they have no idea what's going on, but they stick around. Um, (laughs) It's nice. Um, So the story goes on. Verse 17, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been gone to his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everybody else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, and here's the I am statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me believes in me and will never, ever die. So right here, what I want to stop and point out, this is not an original thought. I learned this. (laughs) Um is just the difference between Genesis and this point and what Jesus is showing us. Back in Genesis 3, in the very beginning, right after man had sinned, man and woman, we won't even get into that. Um, <laughs> Genesis 3.19 says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. And that's not even the whole chapter. Genesis 3 is intense. And it's extremely dark, and it just paints this picture of death and life being separated from God and what that is like. And then all this time goes on, and God takes pity on us. Um, He's seen that we're so stuck in our ways. We've been stuck wandering the desert for so many years. There's good stuff in there, but there's a lot of bad stuff, and we just kind of like continuously mess up and mess up. And he sends Jesus. 
And in the previous chapter, John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. And then here he expands on that even more saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. John has just shown us this complete 180 so that we can now, of what we can now expect. It's no longer this Genesis picture, but it's this John picture of Jesus and his promise that he's brought. And John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. You all know this verse. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And John 11 goes on to say, Jesus says, do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Now here, and this passage is beady. It's a long one. I'm sorry. Blame Greg. Um, (laughs) uh, So hang in. I'm just going to keep going. Um, Here, Jesus is not only foreshadowing his own death, which we'll see in a minute, but I think Jesus is just kind of trying to show us what our life and death will look like when we live in him. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's trying to show us what our life and death will look like when we live in him. Jesus is telling us, I am the resurrection. That power, that life-giving force is me and I'm here now. And I want to show you right now what that life is going to be like. Because I want you, Martha, and I want you, Paige, and Rachel, and Justin, and Greg, and Amanda, and Tad and Connie and Joyce and Marcus and PJ and everyone in the church. I can't think of all your names. Um, He wants all of us and he wants all of us to put that connection of what Lazarus is experiencing on earth is similar to what we're going to experiencing, what we're going to experience when we have life in Christ and death with Christ. He's calling us to an eternity with him. And so he continues and we're at John 1125 now he says he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die i read a commentary that compared this death of lazarus and his resurrection to being like a little movie trailer for our lives where it's not the whole story just like a preview for a movie isn't the whole story but it gives you an idea of what's going to happen and this person warned As we read the story of Lazarus dying, he said, don't diminish the pain and the heartbreak of it by saying, oh, but he's going to rise four days later, so it's fine. Because Jesus is going to raise us all too. But the truth is, we're very much allowed to be sad about death. Even when, I can't talk right now. Even when we have hope in an everlasting life in Christ, we are allowed to be sad. And it's so frustrating to me to hear people make fun of others or kind of criticize others for being too emotional because Jesus was emotional. And later on in this passage, we get to a point where Mary comes to Jesus and she cries at his feet over the loss of her brother. And the scriptures say that Jesus cried too. It says that he wept with her. Jesus wept. And so a story outside of that. Last September... Um, one of my youth group girls passed away, Clarissa, and I was asked to give a eulogy 
that's what it's called, at her funeral. And it's weird being in this room because it's where I spent like all of my time with her for the most part. And so I feel like if I stare at like the back door long enough that she'll come through. And I imagine that that's kind of how like Martha and Mary felt in this moment is like being in their home and like staring at this back door and like hoping that their brother will come through and it ends up being Jesus. And it's like, we wanted you here sooner so you could have prevented this, but it wasn't you. Like you weren't here and now you're not our brother. And like, I just feel so much of that emotion. Like I understand why Martha and Mary are like sobbing at Jesus's feet and why Jesus is sobbing along with them, even though he knows what's going to happen. But so back in September, I was asked to speak and I had no idea what to do. And so like a true millennial, I took to Facebook and (laughs) I went on, it sounds so dumb. I went onto this Facebook group. It's private for youth pastors. So there's thousands of youth pastors from all over the world in this group, much more seasoned than me. Um, it's so great. It's resources and you can ask questions and all stuff. And I just asked like, how on earth do I do this? Like, what am I supposed to talk about? And I got a lot of good information and a lot of good advice. And then I got a little bit of information and advice that was um, garbage. And there's one in particular that stands out to me. And I remember being just kind of like, I didn't know what was wrong with it at the time, but I knew that it wasn't right. Um, And this guy, this this youth pastor said... Don't focus on the grief. Like, everybody's already sad. You don't need to focus on that. He said, now's your time to speak the gospel because this could be the only time a lot of people hear it. And then he spouted off a couple verses that were true, but it still didn't feel right to me. And so I didn't follow his advice. Um, (laughs) I don't even remember what I said, but I remember not doing that. And now that I'm reading this story and kind of seeing it, I'm seeing that he did speak truth, but he missed part of it. And he missed this part where Jesus mourns and Jesus weeps along with us because Jesus doesn't expect us to put our human emotions aside just because we have this everlasting life in him. Just because we know Jesus offers us something better doesn't take away the pain of an earthly moment itself. And Jesus makes space for that. His whole redemption story never includes us not being human. His whole redemption story happens because we are human. It says, he who believes in me, belief is the only requirement. Not putting away your grief or your sadness or your earthly things. Though those are great things that we can try to do, but those are not requirements. It says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And he says all that before he even weeps. Like, he's just setting it up for us to succeed, really, um, in him. He makes so much space for our humanness. And it's, it's a disservice when we don't do that for ourselves and for others, in my opinion. We can't be afraid of our emotions. We need to feel them like Jesus. And then we need to continue on. So I will continue on with that story. That was a, that was a rant. We'll continue on. Okay. (laughs) 
Verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, The man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And that's from that I am the gate story that I spoke on a couple weeks ago. I feel like these guys just kind of follow Jesus around and criticize everything that he does. Um, They're the worst. Uh, It says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across. The tomb was a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha... Lazarus' sister protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? So they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I'm going to read that third to last verse again. It says, Jesus looked up at heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. So... Leading up to this recording, I asked a handful of people their interpretation and their understanding of this whole story. And before I wrap this whole thing up, I want to share some of the responses with you guys because they're so good. Um, One student of mine said, this is his synopsis, this story is Jesus foreshadowing his death on the cross by telling them that he is able to beat death. He also signifies that he is the way to eternal life for their souls, and those who do not believe in him will die in body and in spirit. That student attends Sherlock Christian, if you could not tell. Um, Another person said that whoever believes in God will live in heaven with him even after death. Believers will be physically dead but spiritually alive, and if they live their life on earth believing in him, they will never spiritually die. If that makes sense, is what they said, end quote. Um, again, not wrong at all. Totally makes sense. Correct interpretation. Another person said, and I'm going to call her out because she's right there. Rachel, (laughs) Rachel said, you know, the phrase more to love. And this is so good. She said in losing weight, your body and your body getting smaller. People never say that there is now less to love. And it makes you realize that the body is just a shell of what is really loved. And the people in the story were super expecting this physical kingdom with Jesus and his powerful, just being like this powerful physical ruler on a physical throne and all that stuff. And she said, I feel like Jesus is just driving home that there is so much more than our current earthly bodies, that there is more than these shells that we live in, but we don't see it until our earthly bodies wear out and we die. But then Jesus takes it a step further, she said, and he says, but when life is found in me, you will never die. So good. Um, and then one more, my leader, Cindy, when I asked her what her, interpreta- her interpretation was, she said, I just take Jesus at his word. And then she explained that over time and throughout her life, she has just learned to believe whatever he says. And it wasn't always that way. Um, but that's where she is now. 
She said she has probably studied the book of John a dozen times, each time stretching her in a new way because each person you study with will give you a different perspective of the story. She said she is stretched the most when she does Bible studies or talks about this with non-believers because then you aren't just learning, but you're being asked to defend and explain your faith. Otherwise, they won't care. She said, if you just say, I believe because I do, they're not going to care. She said, you have to actually be able to defend yourself and to explain it. And that's exactly how Jesus ended the story too. Mary and Martha and Lazarus believed in Jesus. They tell him that. But the story ends by Jesus looking up to heaven and saying, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I say it out loud for the sake of the people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. So at this point, you might be thinking, Paige, that was a lot of different perspectives. (laughs) And that's the point. Um, At the beginning of this, I said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me four times. Listen to what God is trying to tell you and stop blaming other people. And I think what God was teaching me was that I need to listen to other people. We all do. We need to stop thinking that because we've already studied something, we already know all the answers because there's going to be answers to perspectives that we haven't experienced that we'll never know if we don't connect with other people. We're called to live into community, to seek knowledge and to grow closer to God. And I wouldn't say that any of the points that I mentioned throughout this were unimportant. And I would never say that I came up with all of them on my own because I barely came up with any of them on my own. Um, God calling us to community is such a gift because it exposes us to new life and new thoughts into truths about him that we would have never known. And now, more than ever, we need to be in community. While the church is physically closed and we're being asked to stay home and to stay distant, we need to be connected and we need to speak the things that we know are true, this truth being Jesus, and we need to speak it out loud so that others will know him too. But we need to remember that we are not called to be the gate. We still need to embody the fruit of the Spirit while we speak our truth about Jesus. We need to talk about our relationship with Him and how He raised us from the dead. We do not need to point out the ways that somebody else is dead. So please, if you get anything from this, stay in community, keep talking, keep hearing other people's stories and perspectives, and keep sharing yours for the sake of other people knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, we thank you for your word, for the easy parts and the difficult parts. We thank you for teaching us and for pushing us. And we thank you for being the gate and the resurrection and the truth. And I pray that over these next few weeks or months or however however long it is that we're kept away from our building, that we would just somehow grow closer as a church body. We love you. Amen.